بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد فان احسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وان شر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار in the last lesson we looked at the status and position of abu bakr as-siddiq radiyallahu anhu as the best person from mankind after the prophets and messengers and today inshallah ta'ala we want to try and conclude our disc- discussion of the sahaba in general because the uh, line of poetry that we are discussing uh, in in this line of poetry we establish that every single sahabi walikullihim adrun wa fadlun sati'un that every uh, everyone from amongst them from the sahaba that they have a status a position and virtues lofty virtues lakinna as-siddiq minhum afdal however as-siddiq amongst them is the most superior so by giving examples of the virtue of abu bakr as-siddiq we mentioned many of his virtues and excellencies and so that can be taken as an exemplification of what we may find amongst the rest of the sahaba because abu bakr as-siddiq is the at the forefront of all of them and by giving examples of the virtue of abu bakr as-siddiq then it is as if we are indicating that which is with the with the rest of the sahaba so we surfaced with abu bakr as-siddiq who is the most virtuous and the most excellent of them so we have a number of issues left to discuss before we can move on to the next line of poetry and so the first of those issues is regarding the infallibility the infallibility infallibility which in arabic is al-isma 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 meaning being free of making mistakes in the religion that is and so shaykh al-islam ibn taymiyyah rahimahullah he said that all of ahlu sunnati wal jamaa all of ahlu sunnati wal jamaa and likewise the leading scholars of the religion they do not believe that any single one of the sahaba that they were infallible infallible meaning that they were that they were free from making any mistakes they were unable to make mistakes so we don't believe about any of the sahaba that they were infallible meaning that they did not make mistakes nor do we believe it about any of the near relatives of the messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and not for anyone not for any of those who are foremost in iman nor other than them rather we believe that it is possible and permissible that they fall into sins that they fall into sins that this is something that is permissible amongst the sahaba and that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he forgives them by way of tauba that they make tauba and allah forgives them and that allah raises their ranks by way of this and that allah forgives them their sin forgives them their sins and he raises their ranks by giving them good deeds these good deeds which wipe out the evil deeds or there could be other reasons as well so ibn taymiyyah says there could be other reasons as well that remove their evil deeds then he brings an ayah in the quran والذي جاء بالصدق وصدق به اولئك هم المتقون that the one who brought the truth and the one who believed in that truth they are the ones who have taqwa they are the ones who fear allah then he continues لهم ما يشاءون عند ربهم ذلك جزاء المحسنين that they will have whatever they wish with their lord that is the reward of those who do good liyukaffira allah anhum aswa alladhi amilu 
وَيَجْزِيَهُمْ أَجْرَهُمْ بِأَحْسَنِ الَّذِي كَانُوا يَعْمَلُونَ That Allah may remove from them the most evil of what they did. The most evil of what they did. And that He may reward them with the best of what they did. Okay? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will expiate for them, remove from them the most evil of what they did and replace it and, and reward them with the best of what they did, what they used to do. This is in Surah Az-Zumar, Surah 39, verses 33 to 35. In other words, this ayah is a proof to show that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He forgives the believers, the foremost of whom are the companions, and that with their good deeds, their evil deeds will be removed. And this is also a proof that the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, that they are not, they are not infallible from making mistakes and of a falling into sin. And likewise, he said in another ayah in Surah Al-Ahqaf, which is the 46th surah, Allah says at the end of a passage, He says, So He says, Those are the ones from whom we shall accept the best of what they did, and we shall overlook and pardon from their evil deeds. So we see that these verses are a proof to show that the Sahaba radiallahu anhum are like all of the rest of the people, that they can fall into sin and they make tawbah from sin and Allah replaces that sin with something which is even better. And then he makes the point that the prophets, may Allah be pleased with them all, they are the ones who have, they, they, they are infallible, they are the ones who can never ever persist upon sins. Right? So the prophets, they can never ever persist upon sins. And Afwan, the, 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 the scholar said that it is the Sahaba, sorry, the, the, the speech here is about the Sahaba. That the Sahaba, that even though we say that they can fall into sin, they never ever persist upon sin. In other words, this was how it was amongst the Sahaba. That the Sahaba, when they would fall upon a sin, it would be immediate tawbah. And they would not make israr, they would not persist upon the, the, the sin. And that's how the situation used to be during the time of the Messenger of Allah and during the lifetime of the companions because this is what they knew. This is what they knew from the Qur'an and the Sunnah and this is the, the taqwa that they were upon. That a believer does not persist upon a sin when he falls into it. Rather he makes tawbah and that's it. He does not fall into it again, meaning deliberately and with intent. And that's why the scholars, some of the scholars, they say that, that to persist upon sins, to persist upon sins is something that is like an innovation which appeared after the time of the Sahaba radiallahu anhu. As for what was known amongst the Sahaba, then they would make tawbah and they would refrain from, from the sin and not fall into it again. So, the scholar said that the um, that the, this is this is how it used to be amongst the Sahaba that they didn't used to fall that they didn't used to uh, persist upon uh, sins even though they would fall into sins. We accept that they used to fall into sins, and likewise so, uh, with respect to the prophets. Then the prophets they are infallible from making errors in the religion. They are protected by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from making errors in the religion. And as for falling into sins, then what is correct is that they may fall into minor sins, but they never persist upon minor sin. Right? So sometimes the, uh, the prophets may fall into minor sin, but they never persist upon minor sin. This is what the scholars say. But as for those besides them, even if they might have a rank like they might be martyrs in the sight of Allah, they might be shuhada, they might be salihun, they might be righteous, they might be siddiqun, then despite these special ranks that they have, then they are not free from making mistakes. They are not free from making mistakes. And when we are speaking here, we are speaking here about actual sins, actual sins, actual mistakes. We are not speaking about the ijtihad. Okay. This is different altogether when a scholar makes an ijtihad and he falls into a mistake. We're not speaking of those things. We are speaking of an actual, that which constitutes an actual sin. So as for 
when they make ijtihad, as for when they make ijtihad, then sometimes they can be correct, and sometimes they can be upon error. And so if they make ijtihad in an issue, and they are correct, then they receive two rewards. And if they make ijtihad and they make an error, then they only have a single they have a single reward. And so therefore the errors that they fall into are forgiven by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So from this, you should understand that we, as Ahlul Sunnah, we make a distinction between Al-Khata, Al-Khata and Al-Ithm. Al-Ithm. We do not put these two things together into the same pot. Right, so we distinguish between making an error and actually being sinful. These two things are not binding like this. Right? If we don't separate between these two things, then we will fall into one of two extremes. So you see the first group of people, the ones who, in fact, if they, if they do not distinguish between these two things, Al-Khata, which is a genuine error, and Ithm, which is sinfulness. The result of this will be, Either you, will be, either you will be on this side and you will basically exaggerate and you will say that these people are free from ever making a mistake. Why? Because in your mind, you've tied a mistake with being a sin. A khata, you've tied it to being ithm. Right? You've made, tied it to being a mistake. So in your mind, you're thinking, well, if making a mistake means being sinful, then these people can never ever fall into mistakes. So that's why you see, in fact, this is how you see the Rafidah. They declare their Imams to be infallible. And then on the other hand, if you, on the other hand, you go to the other extreme and you say, well, the Sahaba or the leaders or the people of knowledge or whatever, or the Khulafa, that they are transgressing people. They are, they are sinful people. So you'll fall into one of these two situations. Either you will exaggerate and say they are infallible, or you will say that they have no mistakes, everything they do is a sin and blameworthy and something to be criticized. And this mistake arises because you don't distinguish between a khata and that which is ithm. So we believe, so we believe that when we speak of the sahaba, the sahaba can fall into sins. They are just like any other people. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He turns to them because they turn to Him in repentance, He forgives their sins. And their good deeds wipe out their evil deeds. And in fact, this is something common for all people. In another place, Shaykh Usam he mentions that there are ten things which uh, expiate the sins of the people. And these ten things he mentions, they are, they are applicable to everybody. The Sahaba and everybody else. And those ten things are a tawbah, repentance to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then making istighfar, making istighfar, seeking forgiveness, saying to Allah, saying to Allah, Allah forgive me. And number three, it is al-hasanat, the good deeds, which wipe out the evil deeds. And these three, notice that these three all emanate from the individual himself. These are things that you do yourself. Tawbah, istighfar, and al-hasanat, the righteous deeds. And then there are other things that go outside of the person himself. So from those things are the believers, other believers who make dua and who seek forgiveness for others from the believers. Oh Allah, forgive so and so. And whether they are alive or dead, meaning that you can make dua for someone who is alive or someone who is dead. The dead will benefit from your dua and the living will benefit from your dua. And likewise, ash-shafa'ah, uh, intercession on Yawm al-Qiyamah, this is someone benefiting from the supplication of someone else. We believe in the shafa'ah of the, of, of the prophets and the angels and the righteous and that someone, a believer will benefit by way of their supplication. Likewise, when a person receives the reward of someone else's deed, like for example, an offspring, a child who does an umrah for his parents or he gives sadaqah on behalf of his parents. Okay, so this is when you have the action of someone else whose reward is given to the to the deceased when it when when it is from those permissible categories that the scholars mention. Okay, so uh, these now are from the actions of other people. These three are from the actions of other people. Then we have another three, which are from 
the calamities. So the first of them is the calamities in the life of this world. You go through calamities, you have illness, you have disease, you have death, you have loss of wealth, you have anxiety, stress, and so on and so forth. Right? This now is from the masa'ib, this is from the calamities, and this washes away your sins. Then there is the trial and the test and the calamity in the grave. The trial, the tribulation, the punishment in the grave, this also removes from your evil deeds. And then finally, the trial and the test on Yawmul Qiyamah. On Yawmul Qiyamah, there will also be calamities, as a result of which the person will have his evil deeds removed. And this, this is nine, there are nine things now, so three categories. That which comes from yourself, Tawbah, Istighfar, good deeds. That which comes from other people, the dua of a believer, the shafa'ah on Yawmul Qiyamah, and the reward given to you by your offspring from those types which are, which are permissible. Then there are another three which are from the calamities. Calamities in the life of this world. Calamities in the bazarkh. Calamities on Yawmul Qiyamah. This only leaves one more thing, which is the rahmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. After all of this, then there is still the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you see that Shaykh al-Islam, he mentions this in a number of places in his Majmul Fatawa, in volume 7, volume 7, uh, page 487. And he brings the proofs for each one, for each of these 10 things. And also in volume 10, pages 45 to 46. So the point that we're making here is that the Sahaba, radiyallahu anhum, are like all of the other believers. They are humans, they make mistakes, they may fall into sins. But what we find amongst them is that they never persisted upon sin. They never persisted upon this. This was the hal, this was the general situation of the Sahaba, that even if they fell into a sin, major or minor, then they would not persist upon that. And as for the prophets, then they are infallible in the religious affairs. It is possible that they might, might make a mistake, like a minor sin, but they never persist upon the, upon the minor sin. And then we also make a distinction between someone making ijtihad and making an error, and him being sinful. They are two separate things. So this is Sahaba and infallibility. This in a nutshell is our belief regarding the Sahaba and infallibility. This now leads us to the issue of how do the various other groups consider the Sahaba? What is the status of the Sahaba with the various other groups? So, first of all, we have the Rafida, and we spoke about them in some of the previous lessons. And the Rafida, the reason why they are called Rafida, they don't like being called Rafida. They like to be called the Shia. They don't mind the word Shia. Why? Because the word Shia, it means those who are from the party of Ali. They consider it to be, they consider it to be a praiseworthy label. So they don't mind being called Shia. They like, they like this. So what we see is that their name is actually, we refer to them as the Rafida. The word Rafida, they do not like the word Rafida. They don't like being called the Rafida. The Rafida means those who reject and refuse. And they are called this name because they reject the Khilafah of Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu anhum. So this is why they are called the Rafida. And Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, he explains what is the foundation of the saying of the Rafida. What is the asal of their deen? What are the core underlying principles upon which the whole of the deen of the Rafida is founded upon? What is their, what's their grievance? What's their grief? What's their belief? What's their doctrine? So Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, he explains this in Majmul Fatawa, Volume 3, page 356. And so he says that the asl, the foundation of the saying of the Rafida, what is their core saying? Their core saying is that they believe that the Prophet ﷺ, he explicitly stated, he said verbally, that Ali radiallahu anhu is the actual rightful successor, that he is the Khalifa after the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. They believe that the Messenger 
textually stated this, he verbally stated this, and he made it clear to his ummah that Ali is the successor after himself. This is what they believe. And they say that Ali radiallahu anhu is the infallible imam. He is the imam that never makes a mistake. In everything that he did or does or made ijtihad, he does not make any mistake. He is the imam that is ma'asum, free from making any error. And then they believe that this was very clear and apparent, that Ali is the rightful successor, that Ali was the rightful imam, but then the Sahaba, radiallahu anhum, they hid these texts. They concealed this text. They concealed this statement of the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. They deliberately concealed this text. And they, they uh, followed their desires, and then they altered the religion, and that they were disbelievers. They, were, they committed oppression and they transgressed, and that all of them became disbelievers except a very <coughs> small faction. Right? So this is the essence of what, they are, what their grief is. They say that the messenger stated, Ali is to be the Khalifa. The text is present. Then the Sahaba, they hid this text. They concealed it. And then they began to change the religion. They began to commit oppression and so on and so forth. And that all of them became disbelievers except for maybe a handful. And in fact, they say that Abu Bakr and Umar specifically, they never ceased being hypocrites. Meaning they never entered into Islam to begin with. They were always hypocrites to begin with. And some of them say, well, okay, yes, they did become Muslims, Abu Bakr and Umar, radiallahu anhum, but then afterwards they disbelieved. So this is what they believe. And then, because of this, because of this doctrine, because of this doctrine that the Rafidah believe, they hold that everyone who opposes their belief, everyone who doesn't believe this doctrine of theirs, meaning that Ali is chosen, specified, that he is infallible, and that the text exists to establish that, they hold everyone to be a disbeliever. Anyone who doesn't believe this doctrine of the imamate, the imamship of Ali radiallahu anhu, then he is a disbeliever. And then, they hold every city, every land, in which their doctrine is not established, they hold that land to be a land of ridda, apostasy and kufr. Right? So they hold all of the lands of the Sunni Muslims to be lands of apostasy and ridda. And they consider them to be more evil than the Mushrikeen and the Nasara. Meaning, they would hold us to be more evil than the Mushrikeen and, then, and, the, and the Nasara. Because we don't believe in their doctrine. And this is why, historically speaking, Shaykh al-Islam says that these people, the Rafida, has all, have always allied, they've always made their allegiances with the Yahud. And with the Nasara, with the Christians, and with the Mushrikeen, against the Muslimin, against the, the, the Muslims. That's why they allied with the Mongols and the Tatars. When the Tatars came across Asia, when they came this way, and they came across Asia, these people, the Rafida, would give them help and aid and assistance, and give them tactical knowledge and information as to where to find the Muslims and where the weaknesses are and so on and so forth. This is what they used to do historically. And this is what they are known with. <coughs> so this is what Shaykh al-Islam Ibn Taymiyyah says regarding the Rafida. And so these are the Rafida. And Shaykh al-Islam, he says in another place uh, regarding... See the Rafida when they appeared, these Rafida... They then became the foundation for even more evil sects. Okay, so these Rafida they appeared. They declared all of the Sahaba to be disbelievers. Then they began to invent other doctrines. The Quran has been tampered with. The Quran is incomplete. The Quran has secret hidden interpretations. Every ayah 
has two interpretations. One which is zahir, or one which is apparent, and one which is batin. Then they said seven. Every ayah has seven. Then they said seventy. Then they said seven hundred. And then they went and they, until they said seven thousand, and they went on and on and on. So then, when they began to invent these doctrines, other groups emerged that, 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 that were from the most evil of groups. And from them are the Ismailiyah. Ismailiyah and the Nusayriyah. And likewise the Batiniyah, the Qaramita Batiniyah. These people then came along and they had the most evil doctrines such as the Islam and religion in general is just a veil. It's just for the ignorant common people who are not enlightened. And, you know, it's just the apparent things that these people know, but there are hidden realities, the, the, the true and real knowledge. And these hidden realities can be attained by philosophizing and by spiritual exercise. And, you know, and so on and so forth. They began to invent these, which really are against the core of revelation and the core of prophethood and messengership. So this then, the Rafida paved the way from even more evil groups to appear into the Ummah in the 2nd, 3rd, 4th uh, centuries. So, these are the Rafida. Then we have another group, and they are the Zaydiyya. The second group that we're looking at, so the first group is the Rafida. They reject the Khilafah of Abu Bakr and Umar. Now the second group is the Zaydiyya, and the Zaydiyya, their position, there are groups amongst the Zaydiyya, but in general their position is like this. This is what they say. They say that we accept Abu Bakr and Umar, radiallahu anhum, we accept them, and they hold this doctrine, there's a doctrine that they have which is called Imamatul Mafdul. Imamatul Mafdul, meaning that it is permissible and possible that there might be someone who is less superior, and he can still be the imam, despite the presence of the one who is more superior. Right? This is how they view the khilafah of Abu Bakr and Umar. They say that Abu Bakr and Umar, we accept and make it permissible that they could be the khalifa. Even though Ali, who is the most superior, is present amongst them. So this is how they resolve the issue. They don't necessarily speak ill of Abu Bakr, or speak ill of Umar, let alone make takfir of them. But they say that we, we, we believe that even though they were inferior to Ali, that it's acceptable in the Sharia that the one with a lesser status can take the Khilafah and the Imama, even though the one with a more superior status is present. So this is the general position towards Abu Bakr and Umar. Radiallahu anhum. But as for the rest of the Sahaba, then they revile the other Sahaba. Amongst them, they revile the general, generality of the other Sahaba. They find fault with them. So amongst them, there are many groups. And from those groups are, first of all, what we call the Jarudiyyah. Jarudiyyah. They are the followers of Abu Jarud. <coughs> Abu Jarud, Ziyad bin Abi Ziyad. And what they say is... That the Prophet ﷺ, he described the qualities of Ali. Right, so notice the difference. They say, the Rafida, they say, the Messenger, he specified the name of Ali. Radiallahu anhu. That he is to be the Khalifa. But here, this group of the Zaydiyah, they say, that the Messenger of Allah, he described the qualities and characteristics of Ali radiallahu anhu. To indicate that he is the one. And not necessarily that he actually named him by name. And then at the same time, they believe that the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, that they became disbelievers. They became disbelievers. Why? Because they gave the Pledge of Allegiance to Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, rather than Ali radiallahu anhu. So this is the Jarudiyya. The Jarudiyya. Then we have the Sulaymaniyya. This is another group of the Zaydiyya, the Sulaymaniyyah. And they are the followers of Sulaiman bin Jarir. Sulaiman bin Jarir. 
and they believe they have a lesser amount of deviation and and a lesser amount of deviation than the Jarudiyya, the first ones. And what they say is that Abu Bakr and Umar, radiyallahu anhu, anhuma, that their Khilafah was correct. That their Khilafah is, is correct and it is valid. And they don't revile Abu Bakr and Umar. They don't speak ill of Abu Bakr and Umar, radiyallahu anhuma. However, they attack Uthman, radiyallahu anhu. They attack him. And some of them even declare him to be a disbeliever. They say that Uthman was the one who became a disbeliever. And alongside him, Aisha radiallahu anha became a disbeliever. And likewise, Az-Zubair became a disbeliever. And Talha became a disbeliever. Why do they say that all of these became disbelievers? They say that because these are the ones who were involved in the tribulation which came afterwards. The tribulation between some of the Sahaba and between Ali, radiallahu anhu, as a result of the murder of Uthman, radiallahu anhu, and the tribulation occurred, and then some things happened between the Sahaba, Ali on the one side, and then Aisha and Talha and Zubair on the other side. So these, this group, the Sulaimaniyah, they don't speak ill of Abu Bakr, they don't speak ill of Umar ibn al-Khattab, radiallahu anhuma. Rather, they accept their khilaf and say it is valid and correct. So their grief isn't to do with the imamah. Their grief is to do with the tribulations and the fighting that took place. Right? That's what their, that's what their grief is. And so this is the uh, Sulaimaniyah. And they consider the rest of the Sahaba, radiallahu anhum, to have fallen into error. They don't make takfir of them for giving bay'ah to Abu Bakr, but they say that they fell into error. And they say that this, would, this was simply an erroneous uh, mistake, but they don't say that they became kuffar, and nor do they say that they became uh, sinful people, they became fursaq, no. So you can see that this position of the Sulaimaniyah is from the lightest and the easiest of the positions and doctrines from, from the Zaydiyah and from the Shia in general. Right? Because their, their views here, they don't make, speak Ill, Ill of Abu Bakr, they don't speak ill of Umar ibn al-Khattab. They don't consider the generality of the Sahaba to be disbelievers or to be sinners. But rather they limit their takfir to a handful of Sahaba. And they speak ill of Uthman radiallahu anhu. So even this is evil. No doubt this is evil. But it is the lightest of what we find uh, amongst them. And then we have another group which are known as the Batriya. And they are the companions of Kathir al-Nabawi, a person called Kathir al-Nabawi, who's known as al-Abdar. Kathir al-Nabawi al-Abdar. And in fact, these people, their position is that they didn't judge Uthman to be a disbeliever, radiallahu anhu. And they basically said, their position basically was that before he took the Khilafah, we consider him to be from the people of paradise. And when we look at him after he took the Khilafah, then we see that he did deeds that were not correct. And you know, and then they began to bring these false accusations against him, that he gave power to certain people who weren't fit for that power. And you know, these are the same doubts that were brought by Sayyid Qutb and other people in the last century. And so they began to say these types of things. And then they said, well, we, we won't judge him to be a disbeliever, but we will just leave his affair to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So these people, they did not declare Uthman to be a kafir like the previous group who are the Sulaimaniyah. So this shows that this group actually has even a more moderate position as it relates to Uthman than the previous group, the Sulaimaniyah. So we have the Jarudiyah, then we have the Sulaimaniyah, then we have here the Batariyah. And then there are a few other groups, in fact, the Nu'aymiyah and... Uh, the Ya'qubiyyah, there are some details regarding them, but these are really a minor groups, we won't mention them, they, they only have slight differences. Uh, the Nu'aymiyyah, they free themselves from Uthman, radiallahu anhu, and anyone who fought against Ali, and they declare them to be disbelievers. And the Ya'qubiyyah, then they basically show loyalty to Abu Bakr and Umar, radiallahu, uh, sorry, to Abu Bakr and Umar, and they 
they don't free themselves from those who free themselves from Abu Bakr and Umar. And they also deny the doctrine that the dead can come back, that the dead can return. So anyway, they have some variations. The point being here that the main groups you need to be aware of are the Jarudiyyah, for the more extreme, and then the Sulaymaniyyah after that, and then the Batriyyah. So they have extreme and then they have less extreme amongst them. So this is the Zaydiyyah. From all of this, what do we understand? We understand that there are those Rafida who we call the Imamiyyah. Imamiyyah. Their issue is that Ali should have been the Imam. And on this basis, they declare the Sahaba to be Kuffar. They speak ill of the generality of the Sahaba. And they speak ill of Abu Bakr and Uthman radiallahu anhumah. And then we have those whose issue isn't the imama. The imama isn't an issue. And these are the Zaydiyyah. And so they, amongst them, as you've seen, they don't speak ill of Abu Bakr or Umar. They accept the Khilafah. And then they have some other moderate positions that we, that we discussed. So that's the discussion of the groups of the Shia. And then after this, we move on to the ruling on attacking the Sahaba, radiallahu anhum. What is the ruling on reviling the Sahaba? So first of all, Imam al-Darmi, rahimahullah, he said, وَالطَّعْنُ فِيهِمْ Ta'an, revilement upon the Sahaba, that it necessitates four things. When you speak ill of the Sahaba, it necessitates four things. And that's why, this is really a nice statement from Imam al-Darmi, rahimahullah, from Imam al-Darmi, rahimahullah, which is, that we spoke previously, why is it that we see that the Sahaba is such a great issue for the people of the Sunnah? Why is it that the Sahaba is such a great issue? We mentioned this many times previously. And why is it here that in this poetry, Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah, that he began, the first thing that he began to mention was the issue of the Sahaba. Well, in this statement of Imam al-Darmi, we have really a, a nice answer. So he says that reviling... The Sahaba necessitates four things. There are four things which absolutely follow from reviling the Sahaba. First one, Al-Qadhu Fillah. Al-Qadhu Fillah. Revilement upon Allah. Revilement upon Allah. Wal-Qadhu fi Rasulillah. And revilement upon the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And then, thirdly, Al-Qadhu fi shara Revilement upon the Sharia, the Sharia, the legislation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which means the Qur'an, revilement upon the Qur'an, revilement upon the Sunnah. And then, fourthly, Al-Qadhu fi sahaba You see, revilement upon the Sahaba is the, is the last of the four things. When you, when you attack and speak ill of the Sahaba, radiallahu anhum, there are three things that come before that, before you've even you know, spoken ill of the Sahaba. There are three things that necessitate before that. You've reviled Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You've reviled the Messenger of Allah, You've reviled the Shar'a, the legislation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then you've reviled the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. Why is this? Well, you've reviled Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because you are reviling the testimony of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Does not Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala state in the Qur'an, in many parts, that He is pleased with the Sahaba? Radiyallahu anhum wa And does not say that He is pleased with those who gave the Pledge of Allegiance, the ones who beneath beneath the tree? There are many ayahs in the Qur'an in which it is established that Allah is pleased with the Sahaba. And He judged with their Islam and with their Iman and with their taqwa, and he promised them paradise. Then secondly, it is a qadh, a revilement upon the Messenger of Allah. Why? Because the Messenger of Allah, you know, you remember the hadith that we mentioned uh, a few lessons ago about the Sahaba, the best of generations, my generation, to the end of the hadith, do, do not revile my Sahaba, because if you were to give a handful like this in charity, it wouldn't eat, if you were to give, sorry, uh, the mountain of Uhud in gold, wouldn't equal the handful of what one of them would give in, in charity. And the fact that when the Sahaba were present in a battle, 
then victory would, would, be, would, would be guaranteed. And many other ahadith that speak of the virtues of the Sahaba. So this is a revilement upon the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And it is a revilement upon the Sharia. Why? Because the Sharia only came to us by way of the Sahaba, radiallahu anhum, by way of their transmission and by way of their narrations. So now the whole Sharia, everything in the Sharia, the ahkam, the ibadat, the acts of worship, and the rulings in all of the various affairs of life, marriage, divorce, transactions, everything, the whole Sharia falls apart once you revile the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. And then finally, of course, it is a revilement upon the Sahaba themselves. So the revilement upon the Sahaba is the last of the things intended by revilement of the Sahaba. You understand that? So the, 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 the issue here is, that there are things that come first before you even speak of the, of the Sahaba being uh, reviled. So, the revilement of the Sahaba as a whole is kufr. This is the ruling of reviling the Sahaba in general. Meaning, if you come and say that all of the Sahaba or the majority of the Sahaba, they are disbelievers. This is kufr. You are a kafir if you hold this doctrine. Why? Because it means, as we've said, it means rejection of the Sharia as a whole. As for when someone reviles a single Sahabi, or maybe two Sahaba or three Sahaba, then here now the ruling requires some detail. There is some tafsil. So if the person who reviles this Sahabi, he reviles him, intending to revile the religion. So someone comes along and he says, you know, he reviles Abu Bakr, radiallahu anhu. And he reviles him, not because of his person, or because of his personal ijtihads, but he intends to revile the religion, because Abu Bakr was the first Khalifa, and he represents Islam and the people of Islam. And he reviles him for that reason. Now here, his revilement is kufr. He becomes a kafir. Because his intent is the, is the sharia and the religion. However, if he wants to revile only the person of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, meaning that he, he's got something personally against Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, something that he did, or it could be Umar or Uthman, or any of the Sahaba, then here, this then, you know, maybe he has a shubha, maybe he has some whatever else, then this is a major sin. He has fallen into a major sin, but he does not become a disbeliever by way of this. Okay. So this is the tafsil regarding reviling the Sahaba. You revile them all, you're a disbeliever. You revile, revile some of them, it depends on your intention. If your intent is to revile the religion, you are a disbeliever still. If you just have something personal with them, then this becomes a major sin, but it doesn't take you outside of all of Islam. And Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, he says in Sarim al-Maslul, Asarim al-Maslul, which is a book he wrote, Asarim al-Maslul, is one of those key books that Shaykh Ulusam Timi wrote, and it's a book in refutation of a dhimmi. A dhimmi, Jew or a Christian who was in the lands of the Muslims, given protection by the Muslims, and he reviled the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So he wrote this book, Asarim al-Maslul, ala shatim al-Rasul. The unsheathed, Sword against the one who reviled the messenger, uh, the messenger sallallahu So in this book, he explains that it is not permissible even <coughs> to mention even the faults of the Sahaba. It's not permissible even to mention a fault of the Sahaba, and nor to revile any single one of them on account of a fault he fell into, or a mistake that he made. Right? So this is how the honor of the Sahaba is protected in Islam. That not, you can't even revile them on account of a genuine mistake that they made. Not even, even that's not permissible. And uh, anyone who does this, who reviles them even on account of a mistake that they made, a genuine mistake, then he is to be given exemplary punishment. He is to be uh, whipped. And he is uh, put in prison. Up until he dies, or he makes tawbah. Up until he makes tawbah. Meaning, if a person persists upon speaking ill or reviling any of the sahaba, even by way of a, 
an aib or a, a fault or whatever that they have, that they may have had, then he is to be restrained and imprisoned up until he makes tawbah from that. Even though we say he doesn't become a disbeliever, he's not a disbeliever, right? So you see, this is how the scholars of Islam they protect the honor of the Sahaba by way of this ta'zir, this protection of the of the honor of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. Okay, this now moves us, so now we understand the ruling upon reviling the Sahaba. This now moves us to the ruling on reviling the mothers of the believers, the wives of the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Then, the answer to this, that anyone who reviles a single one of the wives of the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and in fact, this is a revilement. This is a revilement of the honor of the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Meaning, to speak ill and to revile any of the wives of the Messenger of Allah, sallam, and this is a ta'an in the ird, in 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 the honor of the Messenger of Allah, and such a person is a kafir. He is a disbeliever. And anyone who does not consider him to be a disbeliever, he too is a disbeliever. Meaning, that if you know and see someone who speaks ill of Aisha radiallahu anha, and makes ta'an upon her radiallahu anha, and he does not consider such a person to be a disbeliever, then he himself is a disbeliever. Okay, so this is how serious the issue is. Why? Because this entails... Making taqdeeb of the Qur'an. It is as if you are denying the Qur'an. You are treating Allah to have lied. Why? Because in the Qur'an, as Imam al-Darmi, rahimahullah, says, that as for ascribing, as for accusing Aisha radiallahu anha with fornication, as she was accused of by the hypocrites, then this is disbelief. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He said in the Qur'an, يَعِذُكُمُ اللَّهِ أَن تَعُودُوا لِمِثْلِهِ أَبَدًا إِن كُنْتُمْ مُؤْمِنِينَ That Allah cautions you, Allah cautions you, that you should return to the likes of this, meaning, to the likes of this slander and accusation against Aisha radiallahu anha, if you are true believers. So Imam al-Darimi says this Surah An-Nur, Surah 24 verse number 17. Mamadarmi says that here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala attached iman, meaning that he made iman a condition, he attached it to not returning to making this accusation ever again. And anyone who made this accusation, then he becomes a disbeliever. Why? Because he is denying the speech of Allah in which Allah declared Aisha to be free and innocent of this slander. This is why the Rafida. Allah, may Allah curse them, they are disbelievers. Just on account of this on itself. They are disbelievers because they make taqdeeb. They make taqdeeb of the Qur'an. They deny that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is truthful when he exonerated Aisha radiallahu anha from the slander perpetrated against her. And likewise, Ibn Kathir radiallahu rahimahullah, he says regarding Aisha radiallahu anha, he says that the scholars, may Allah have mercy upon them, without exception, are united. That anyone who reviled Aisha, radiallahu anha, after this, and accused her with whatever he accused her, after this which has been mentioned in this ayah, then he is a kafir. Because he is a mu'anid. He is someone who is a stubborn opposer to the Qur'an. And... As for the rest of the mothers of the believers, then there are two opinions regarding reviling them. But the most correct opinion is that they are just like Aisha radiallahu anha. Meaning, speech about them is just like the ruling regarding speech about Aisha radiallahu anha. Because we see that they are also mentioned in the Quran as being from the Ummuhat al Mu'minin, that his wives, the wives of the Messenger, are from the mothers of the believers. And Abu Zur'atul Razi, rahimahullah, from the Imams of the third century, uh, from the students, uh, from uh, from the time of uh, Imam Ahmad, rahimahullah, 
He says, when you see a man, إِذَا رَأَيْتَ الرَّجُلْ When you see a man diminishing any one of the companions of Allah's, uh, of Allah's Messenger, meaning reducing the worth and status of any one of, the, of, of Allah's Messenger, uh, of, the, of the companions of Allah's Messenger, فَعْلَمْ أَنَّهُ زِنْدِيكَ Know that he is a heretic. Have no question that he is a heretic. That's why we have no doubt that Sayyid Qutb is a heretic. He's a zindik. And he died as a zindik. Because he never ever ever took back his kalam regarding Uthman. Nor did he take back his kalam regarding uh, Abu Sufyan and Muawiyah and Hind. And other than them from the, from, from the best of the Sahaba. He is a zindik. And he says, وَذَلِكَ أَنَّ الرَّسُولِ This is because the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu That he is true. وَالْقُرْآنُ حَقٌ And the Qur'an is true. And he says, وَإِنَّمَا أَدَّى إِلَيْنَا هَذَا الْقُرْآنُ وَالسُنَنْ أَصْحَابُ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ And indeed this Qur'an and this, the Sunnah, it was brought to us by the companions of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Then he says, Indeed, these people only intend to disparage our witnesses. Who are our witnesses? Our witnesses are the Sahaba. What do we mean? That the Qur'an that we are holding, that we have, and the Sharia that we have, and the Sunan that we have, who are our witnesses for that? The Sahaba. The Sahaba are the ones who transmitted this. They are our shuhud. They are our witnesses. So the intent behind attacking the Sahaba is to attack our witnesses through whom the Qur'an and the Sunnah has come. So the intent is, he says, وَإِنَّمَا يُرِيدُونَ That indeed they intend that they, they want to disparage our witnesses in order to invalidate the, the, the book and the Sunnah. That's what they intend. And indeed, disparaging them is more befitting. Meaning to disparage those people who disparage even a single Sahabi, that is more befitting. وَهُمْ زَنَادِكَ Because they are the heretics. They are the heretics. So this is the ruling upon the Sahaba, radiyallahu anhum. So we've discussed the issue of isma, infallibility. Then we discussed the groups and their position towards the Sahaba. The extreme are the Rafida. And then the less extreme are the Zaydiyya. Then we spoke of the ruling on reviling the Sahaba and the tafsil in that regard. Then we spoke of the ruling regarding the mothers of the believers. And now we move on to the, uh, one, one final issue which, which we can end with inshallah is someone who reviles the Sahaba is there tawbah for him. Can someone make tawbah if he reviled and spoke ill of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. And Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, he discusses this issue because there is an opinion, there is an opinion which, there is an opinion which states that the Rafidi, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not accept his tawbah when he reviles the companions. And then those who hold this opinion, they narrate from the Messenger of Allah sallam, a hadith in which it is stated, Sabbu ashabi dhambun la yughfar. That the revilement of a Sahabi is a sin which is not forgiven. And they say indeed, because reviling the Sahaba, a Sahabi involves the right of an individual. And because the right of an individual has been taken, then it cannot be removed by tawbah to Allah alone. Okay. So Shaykh al-Islam is discussing this viewpoint and he says, وَهَذَا بَاتِلٌ لِوَجْحَيْنِ he says, this opinion is bad. It is false. From two angles. This opinion is not correct. He says, first of all, that the hadith is kadib. Bittifaq. That the hadith, first of all, that they quote is a lie by agreement of the people of knowledge and hadith. And it opposes what is in the Quran and the Sunnah and Ijma. Because the Quran and the Sunnah and Ijma says that all sins can be forgiven, even shirk. And then the Shaykh, rahimahullah, he quotes the ayah in the Quran, إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَغْفِرُ أَنْ يُشْرَكَ بِهِ وَيَغْفِرُ مَا دُونَ ذَلِكَ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ Indeed, Allah does not forgive that partner should be associated with him in worship, but he forgives what is less than that to whomever he wills. And he says that this is the very ayah 
that the people of the Sunnah use as an argument against Ahlul Bidah, who say that the people of major sin will never be forgiven. Right? So this ayah is a proof. And likewise, the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, قُلْ يَا عِبَادِيَ الَّذِينَ أَسْرَفُوا عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ لَا تَقْنَطُوا مِنْ رَحْمَةِ اللَّهِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَغْفِرُ الذُّنُوبَ جَمِيعًا That all oh, my servants who have transgressed against their souls, do not despair of the mercy of Allah. Indeed, Allah forgives all sins. And this is for the one who repents. Everyone who repents, then Allah will in turn turn to him. Even if the sin was the greatest of the sins. إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَغْفِرُ أَنْ يُشْرَقَ بِهِ وَيَغْفِرُ مَا دُونَ ذَلِكَ لِمَنْ Indeed, Allah does not forgive that partners are set up with the meaning someone who dies while committing shirk. But even shirk, if he's alive and he makes tawbah, Allah will accept that tawbah from him. And as for what is less than shirk, then he forgives that even if a person died without making tawbah. So this is the first point of refutation against this claim. The second point of refutation is that even if the hadith was correct, then the meaning would be that Allah would not forgive the one who did not seek tawbah from him. Because there is no sin which is greater than shirk. And the mushrik, when he makes tawbah to Allah, Allah will forgive him shirk. So tawbah removes even shirk. And we see in the Quran, Allah says, فَإِن تَابُوا وَأَقَامُوا الصَّلَاةَ وَآتَوُوا الزَّكَاةَ فَخَلُّوا سَبِيلَهُمْ Talking about the mushrikeen. That if they make tawbah, and they establish the prayer, and they give the zakah, then leave them, let them have their, have their way. And in another verse, Allah says, فَإِخْوَانُكُمْ فِي الدِّينِ Then they are your brothers in faith. So it shows that even someone who is a kafir, a mushrik, someone who fought against the messenger of Allah, who reviled the prophets, then he made tawbah, it is ijma that his tawbah is accepted. That his tawbah is accepted. And then he says, he makes an issue which is, however, if a person makes it permissible, he makes istihlal, he says, to revile the sahaba is, is halal in the sharia. Okay, that this is permissible in the sharia. And that, you know, uh, that this, obviously, obviously this no doubt is kufr, uh, this no doubt is uh, disbelief, and this, this is disbelief in all circumstances. But then the issue here is, uh, he, he discusses the final issue, which is, what if you revile someone, and obviously you've taken his right, you make tawbah to Allah, but the right of that individual remains. Can you still be forgiven in that situation? What about this issue now? Why? Because the one who reviles the Sahaba, even though he makes tawbah to Allah, what about his attack upon the Sahaba? He's, he's taken the right of an individual. What, what happened about that? And the Shaykh, he says about this, that in the most correct view of the scholars, in the most correct view of the scholars, a person who takes the right of somebody else, if he makes tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he doesn't have to go to that individual to rectify that situation directly. He doesn't have to go to him directly in order to rectify the right. Rather, he can make ihsan. He can do some sort of ihsan towards that individual. Ask Allah to forgive him. Ask Allah to show mercy upon him. Meaning make dua for him and make some ihsan towards that individual. And this would be acceptable uh, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this ihsan that he does for that individual whose right he took, then maybe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will invalidate that wrong that he did, that right that he took from that individual. Right? This is, as the Shaykh says, that this is from the most correct and the most apparent of the view of the scholars, that it's not necessary that he has to go and resolve that thing with that individual, not necessarily a condition, but rather Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may rectify and remove that sin of taking the right of that individual if he makes some ihsan. You know, if he makes dua for that individual, you know, in the night, makes dua for him, asks Allah to forgive him, shows mercy to him, you know, and so on and so forth. So this brings us to the end of our discussion regarding all of the issues connected to the Sahaba 
radiallahu anhum and so we discussed here the issue of infallibility the position of the sahaba as it relates to some of the sects the ruling on reviling the sahaba the ruling on reviling the mothers of the believers and the issue can someone make tawbah after reviling the sahaba radiallahu anhum and so with this we conclude today's lesson and this also concludes our discussion of the sahaba in general and this now leads us to the first of the major issues of belief which is regarding the quran being the speech of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this inshallah ta'ala will begin in the next series of lessons walhamdulillahi rabbil alamin wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in